1: Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Ministry of the Week Sunday message. It's great to be with you again as every week we take time uh, this Sunday afternoons to look at what God's doing in places all around the Bay, looking at churches featuring sermons by pastors, uh, little churches and big ones and church plants and old churches, and uh, also looking at organizations that have... uh, Come alongside the church, parachurch and ministry startups that are uh, helping grow the kingdom outside the church walls. And uh, this past week, if you missed it, we were talking with my friend John Dupree. He, I met him in the context of a church conference where he was functioning as a regional director for the Perspectives course, Perspectives on uh, World Christian Movement. That uh, was. I found out later, just one of the many, many hats that he's worn. And he's actually here with us in studio today to talk a little bit about the message that we're going to hear, presentation called Cross Culture. And uh, John, welcome. Thanks for joining us on the Ministry of the Week. Thanks for inviting me. You know we have uh, had, we had a good time in studio with the the interviews, uh, trying to condense down the many hats that you 've worn over the years, uh, really a full time ministry career of what about twenty five years yes about twenty five years and a, a long career in business before then um, you You came to that term sort of mission mobilizer. Uh, maybe that's an umbrella term. Can you mm-hmm. tell us more about what all falls under that for you? Just a few of the highlights. Okay. A
2: mission mobilizer is a person that ignites, excites, and motivates others into action. It's really something that I gained when I started with the ministry ACMC, the Association of Church Missions Committees, that we were mobilizing churches to be actively engaged in the Great Commission mm. and rising up to their part of the Great Commission. And... Um, With ACMC, I had the privilege of working with a lot of mission-active churches and sharing how-to's with other churches. And... Part of my role was to organize conferences, so I had the joy of organizing about 70 regional and national conferences, and I actually wound up being an adjunct professor at William Jessup University uh, for the purpose of training university students on how to organize mission conferences, which was quite an amazing thing. I was quite shocked, to be honest with you. Um, God has his tendency of thrusting me into these roles that I was not expecting, and that I'm feeling totally insecure about because I don't have that background, but yet mm-hmm. God did it. I didn't. I was just there, and it's amazing how God could do things if we just let Him, you know, get self out of the way. Um, the Bass Convention, Bay Area Sunday School, it happens every March, uh, invites me to come and share. And what we're going to be hearing is one of the f- four workshops I teach every year. Uh, and it's called Cross Culture, mm-hmm. and it, and you know. Uh, When we think about missions, oftentimes we think about missionaries. It's those people going over there to them somewhere else in the world. Well, really, the mission of God is Acts 1-8. You will be my voice. This is both Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the innermost parts. And if we're not equipping our saints as pastors to uh, reaching all four fields of the Great Commission, we're being disobedient. And what are those four fields again? Jerusalem, where you are. Uh Uh-huh. Judea, the greater community, Mm -hmm. Samaria, the aliens and the mixture of all the cultures around us, and then all the way to the ends of the earth. Mm -hmm. And the point is is that if we pastors are not equipping our saints for cross-culture ministry, Mm -hmm. working with people of different ethnicities, our church is going to become irrelevant because the demographics around our buildings are constantly changing it's not just about reaching people like me and mine it's going out there to the different cultures and it's been a joy being involved and i love the bass conventions because we get church workers coming every year i love going to the world christian conference uh which is in um Redwood Christian Park it's all Chinese mm-hmm. now I'm not Chinese but I'm welcomed as part of the, the Asian culture and I love it the more time I spend with people of different ethnicities the closer I am to God mm. and the more I know God and I'm blessed by him and I realize that you know God is a huge God yeah. and and we're just a small part of his mosaic of what he's created but he created us for a purpose and we're no fluke of evolution we're a special creation of God and he wants mm. to do great things through us and to to recognize that and to act upon that yeah. it's a great joy
1: that is a great joy and I think that the key word that I just heard you mention mosaic the fact that uh, a, a real master artist in making a mosaic knows he has to start with Broken pieces of pottery, right? Isn't that the truth? Cracked pots basically make beautiful mosaics. The only way you get a mosaic is with cracked pieces of pottery.
2: (laughs) And you know, a lot of times we hold ourselves back because we have flaws and deficiencies. Well, think about it this way. God loves to work through cracked pots because the more we're cracked, the greater his glory and light shines through us. It's not us that they see. It's the glory of the Lord they see through us cracked pots. And by the way, you know, if we're living in the garbage, God allowed us to live there because we can then... Relate to, and people can relate to us who are currently in the garbage that we got out of, mm, he equipped right. us especially for ministry
1: yeah yeah and and I think it is to his glory that that the uh the, the wrinkles, bumps, cracks, all these things that we think of as. Defects and and indeed, you know that's a one way to describe sin is my character def- my list of character defects, right? Bingo. But when we uh, exclude God from that equation, uh, we're left with despair. Mm-hmm. And when we put God into that equation, and we see how He's going to take those cracked pieces and create, as you said, a mosaic, a beautiful mosaic, not something that, not like a uh, uh, second grade art project. But uh, the, the work of the master at creating a church, and, and we talked about this offline uh, as well, John, how, how beautiful it is to walk into a church that is truly multi-ethnic. Oh yeah, where, you know, not not that there's uh, like one or two token families who are who are not of the right. same ethnicity. <laughs> exactly. Like, <laughs> hey, we're multi-ethnic now, but where there is no ethnic majority at all, you know, I mean, where that, that's uh, pretty rare still, even here in the Bay Area. Um, but we're moving that direction, mm-hmm. where churches are just becoming alive to the fact that the mission fields does
2: indeed start right out my back door, and they may be my same ethnicity, mm-hmm. and it really. Missions is about crossing cultures, not mm. necessarily ethnic. By the way, I chuckle when sometimes when I preach and I ask, oh, by the way, how many here are ethnic? And I, I see a whole lot of darker skinned people raise their hands. <laughs> and I look at the lighter skinned people going, guess what? You're ethnic too. We're all <laughs> ethnic. <laughs> it's, it's natural for us to love people like ourselves, it's supernatural for us to love people who are not like ourselves. Amen. And let's, you know, that's get a, a good setup for
1: this. Uh, um, message we're about to hear a presentation again from the bass convention called cross culture and uh john if you don't mind would you just uh, have a
2: word of prayer with us before oh, we before we go to hear this love it that'd be great father god we just thank you for prayer that you've opened up the channel that we can come to you at any time mm-hmm. lord we are amazed that here we are at your throne right now and people next to us are from nigeria ethiopia russia finland mm-hmm. guatemala mexico California, Lord God, why are we not seeing that your throne is open to all peoples, mm. that you love all of your creation? Lord, help us to gain a greater vision of what it is you've created us for, and help us to love those we've always considered unlovely, because that's when your true grace and compassion shines through. Mm. Lord, let the world witness you through us, please, in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. Uh, Friends, once again, um, this is uh, John Dupree, who's been with us this past week on the Ministry of the Week interviews. If you missed any of those, you can head over to KFAX.com to look for the Ministry of the Week feature. That uh, podcast is available for you. And today's message is uh, called Cross Culture. Uh, message delivered uh, some time ago at the Bass Convention, and uh, John would love to touch base with you and your church. If you'd like to find out more about the Perspectives course, or about Harvest, uh, about ACMC, uh, many organizations that he's worked with. Best way to reach him is to email him John at perspectives.org. And now here's our Ministry of the Week Sunday message on AM 1100 KFAX.
2: Back in the 80s, I had a job negotiating contracts on behalf of federal government, and I literally traveled 300 days a year throughout the whole United States. And I went to all different kinds of churches just to see what made them tick and why are they different. And some of the churches were just dead. Dead others were just vibrant and alive you could see the joy of Jesus radiating off their face and so it would be one denomination and and you know the alive, dead, dead, dead alive, dead, dead or you know an ethnic group you know, dead, dead alive, alive, dead, dead and, and you know an economic group dead, dead, alive alive, dead, dead, dead and, and they're going you know wait a minute something is not jiving here and then one day I realized wait a minute you know this is a live church I'm in today and The pastor is preaching from the Bible, from God's Word. He's talking about evangelism, sharing the gospel in the world where I travel. So that people meet Christ through us because they witness Christ in us, how we act, how we react to circumstances. And they are also talking about missions, going out to the peoples who are not like us. The church isn't just who gathers together in our building But the church is to be in the world where the people live. Whether they know Christ or not, they're to meet Christ through us. And those live churches, you could tell they were glad to greet you when you came in the door. It's not like, well, you're not one of us. You know, hi, are you a, oh, you're not our denomination. Well, Myrtle, how are you? You know, I mean, kind of deal. I mean, you may have experienced some of that yourself. I don't like these wires. This is terrible. Anyway, moving right along here. There's external service. Missions, meeting the needs of the poor, the widows, the orphans, prisoners, homeless, helpless, strangers. You know, it's a biblical mandate that we do that. But you know, our church can do that with the people who are coming into our facility to worship God together. It's very important that we do that. There's a ministry of reconciliation. estranged individuals, hospital or hostile within society. You know, we cannot ever reconcile with that other race or that other economic group or that political orientation until we reconcile ourselves with God first. Because when we realize who God is, His attributes, and all creation is His creation, He loves every person. I mean, you ever think about it? God had infinity to create His whole universe from the grandest galaxy down to the most minute molecule. And out of all the things that God created, He decided to make you new. To be exactly who you are. You are not some fluke of uh, mutation called evolution. You're not pond scum gone awry. You are a special child of the Creator God, who is love. He loves you. He loves me. He loves all persons and peoples. And there's a difference. Persons are you and I, individual. Peoples are people groups, families, those who call us us, and them them. And it's important that we reconcile with God to realizing that if we truly love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, then we love his what he loves, his creation. So therefore, by extension of logic, we are to love all persons and peoples on the planet, whether we like them or not. It's not the issue. You know, and so we need to reconcile with God to love those who He loves. And then reconciliation among the political, religious denomination, ethnic, economic groups, becomes a lot easier. Then there's the missionary band. Now, missionaries basically organize themselves to go into the world. It's a second decision beyond just being part of the church. Because you could be born into your church and grow up in your church. But to, to be part of a missionary band, you basically are making a decision to go to a place that's foreign and alien to you. You need to become like them to earn the right to be heard by them and not to cause them to become like you. Let them be who they are in their indigenous way, but then they remain like they are in their culture so they share the gospel within their cultural context because that's the only way it's really going to grow. Because if we try to make them like us, then we are divorcing them from the culture from which they were born into you know where are we going what's what is our ultimate goal here all of us where are we going to wind up a billion years from now heaven exactly thank you so that's where we're going we know our destination now did all of us come from the same place no no We have different heritage. You look around, you know, there's. we look different from each other. We have different behaviors and so on. Well, praise the Lord. That's part of the diversity of what God created. It makes life interesting and unique and fun. I like the color blue, but if everything was blue, how boring would that be? You know, it's great to have diversity and to embrace that and love that. Now, God had two structures of missions. One is modality. The structured fellowship in which there is no distinction of age or sex. In other words, the local church. By the way, the handouts, good news. You don't have to write anything because everything on the PowerPoint is printed out on the handout. Now, some of those other comments that go along that aren't up there, you might want to scribble some of that stuff down if you want. But modality, basically, is what we consider to be church. And most pastors in seminary are trained for modality. We're taught how to reach out into our community, get the community to come into our church facility, and manage the church that comes together. And we have the come mechanism. We want people to come to us. So we have programs and outreaches in our community to get people to come into our church. And that's the primary orientation of pastors which is by the way necessary for pastors to do okay because that's the ministry God has called pastors to do then there's another structure and that is sodality it's a structured fellowship in which members involved in adult second decision go beyond modality membership these are the folks that work in mission agencies outreach organizations promise keepers and uh uh Pregnancy centers and things like that, where realizing that the church is to go out into the world where the people are. These are the folks who are more in the go orientation of what church is to be about. Now, oftentimes there's a conflict between church leaders, pastors, elders, and missionary types because they have a different orientation of how to do ministry. I like to equate it to, to uh, the military. You got the Marines and you have the Army. Now they're both fighters, they're both in military, they're both doing battle with the enemy. Now the Marines go in behind the enemy lines and do battle with the enemy in their territory. If by some chance they happen to gain enough land, they can actually establish an operating base, they do that. But they're still in the enemy's territory doing battle. But if they can manage to occupy some space, the army comes in and does what? Build a fort. Yes, thank you. That's right. We could equate the fort being like the church. Now, the commanding officer's job with the fort is to do what? Protect the fort. Now, you want to send out your troops into the surrounding territory that has some hostile to the fort, the church, people, and some friendly to the church. But they're doing battle with the enemy that's within reach of the fort. Because they're going to come back to the fort at the end of the day. But they're cleansing the land of the enemy. And if by some chance the army spreads beyond the fort, and what they could do from the fort, what do they do? Build another fort to expand the reach of our side. Well, isn't that what we're doing? We're planting a church in enemy territory. This is dangerous. Um, And we're planting forts or churches to plant forts and churches. Now, when the Marines come along and say commanding officer of the army base, I want to take some of your best soldiers over here, I want to take some of your supplies, and I want to take some of your your ammunition and funding and redeploy them out there where the big battle's going on. As the commanding officer of the fort, what are you going to say? Uh Uh-oh! My job's to protect the fort and you're going to weaken it? Ah, there we have the problem. Because we have the modality mindset of we're going to protect the fort and all around it, y'all come to be part of us, versus no, we're going to go out there where the enemy is well you do battle differently than you do battle with the fort and so if the marines missionaries are smart they're going to say what we want to do is we want to help strengthen the troops in your fort because you know something we've been out there we have seen what Satan and the demons are doing we know how to do battle with them because we've been doing battle with them we want to equip your saints oh, your soldiers to do battle better No, by the way, after we equip your fort to do it better, we might want to redeploy a few that God might call, and maybe some of the materials. But you will be strengthened before we redeploy. And oh, by the way, pastor, what does the Bible say? What is the primary job of pastor teachers? Equipping saints for the work of the ministry. Thank you. I love Bible scholars. Exactly right. Their job is to equip... Saints for the work of the ministry. What's the work of the ministry? You will be my witness, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the innermost parts. What part of the scripture does your church want to be disobedient to? (laughs) Oh no, that can't be. But if we're not preparing saints for the work of the ministry in all four fields of the Great Commission, then we are being disobedient to God's word. We have chairs up here if you want to move on up, and we'd love for you to sit close. I won't spit too much. All right, moving right along here. Now, there's, there are life stages in churches. Now, the first stage, obviously, is the pioneering church. You plant this church, and what do we do? Well, we, we're all excited. God is working through us to plant a church here in this community. So we roll up our sleeves, and we're going to go into that gymnasium, that house, that warehouse, and set up the chairs and the PA system and everything every Sunday because we're just renting the place. And we have this attitude of, hey, us five people aren't going to grow the church much unless we get out there and do something. So we go knock on doors. We start sharing the gospel with people. We start telling them we got this church going on. And you want to be part of this thing? And we have this pioneering spirit. we got to go out there into the community to build the church, to grow the church. And all of us are actively engaged and involved in the process of birthing and building the church. That's what a pioneering church does. And if the Lord's hand is on it, and if we do our job, and the people are receptive, a church is birthed and begins to grow. Then we get into being a settler's church. Now, the settler's church, we oftentimes get a building, and we call it the church. And we put pews in it. And we set up a sound system. And uh, we might get Sunday school. And uh, we might get some pretty good worship people playing. And the settlers church, we begin to settle in. Now, keep in mind, great cities are not built by pioneers. It's built by settlers. All right? You need to establish... The church, and give it a good solid foundation of reaching out into the world, being the community and the world at large, and the settlers' church becomes established. We know it's there. The signs out front, we could say, "Last Baptist Church over there," exists. Whereas the pioneering church, go Last Baptist Church, where were they? I don't know. Every other week they meet somewhere else. Well, you know. But now there's there's something there. And then you move to the (gasps) professional church. Now, the professional church, these are the guys that are doing it right. See, because they're hiring the best pulpiteer, the best musicians. Now they're building a facility that the air conditioning is just right. The ambiance of the light is just the way you want to set the mood for everything. You've got all the proper ministries out there that all the mega churches are saying that we all have to do and they're doing it with professional excellence. And you know what they're doing, they're competing with the other churches down the street. And of course the pastors of the other churches down the street say, oh, I don't want to send my people over there to go to a conference or something because they might leave my sheep pin and go over there. Well, well-fed sheep don't leave the fold, pastors. And if they say, Oh, I'm not fed. I'm not being fed here. The reality is they're being fed. They're just not being doers of the Word. You're not truly being fed until you become a doer of the Word. Here doesn't cut it. You've got to be a doer of the Word for God to be working through you for you to really know how the Holy Spirit moves in our lives. But the professional church is what we tend to want to be like because they are the best, the state of the art. But you know what tends to happen? When we do that, we're proud of the church. And we're the 800-pound gorilla in this community. And we become naval inspectors. We start looking at our own belly button. And it's all about me and mine. I have ministries to reach the community to make a part of our congregation and we're going to have a big front door and a very small back door. We're not going to redeploy our resources. No, we're going to build upon them and keep them here because after all, the American church, bigger is better. Yeah? I find it interesting because the U.S. Senators was pointing out the fact that that 85% of the churches in America have no missions committee. Hmm. 85% are stagnant or dining, 85% have no missions committee leadership team, global outreach team, mission commission, whatever you want to call that group of lay people who are working on missions in the church. That's why I worked with HCMC for all those years, because we want to help the local church get engaged in the Great Commission. You know, well, we become a stagnant church because we grow inward. We stop reaching out. What we need to do is rebirth ourselves with the pioneering heart and attitude. Because equipping saints for the work of the ministry means we make all the ministers, or the, the saints in the church ministers. It's an organization instead of an organism. An organism needs to be fed and strengthened, active. You can sit in atrophy on your nice vibrating recliner all you want, but you will atrophy and die. you got to be out there exercising. All right, we're familiar with Matthew 22? The attorneys of the day when Jesus was walking around were trying to trip Jesus up all the time. And one of them said, What's the one great commandment? Knowing whatever he said, the attorneys could take that, twist it around, and make it into whatever they wanted to disprove Jesus. Well, Jesus responded, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. What did he do? He quoted scripture from Deuteronomy. And then Jesus threw him a curve. What was that curve? This is the great and foremost commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He gave them a two for one deal. They were only looking for one, but he gave them two. And I find it fascinating because in that answer, Jesus gave us the key to heaven. He painted a word picture of what was to come. See, what Jesus did was, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. That is that vertical relationship with God. He wants to flood us, overflow us with blessings. But why? Because love your neighbor as yourself is the crossbeam. Now, unfortunately, a lot of Christians want to build a dam and hold on to all the blessings and not want to be a conduit to have it flow out out of us and through us into the world. And see, that's the big part of the problem, is we take it internal. We don't spread the blessings around to others. And it's critically important that we do spread it around to others, because the Lord isn't working through us unless we are sharing it. Imagine the absolute worst thing that humanity ever came up with to torture and shame and ridicule somebody else with the cross and now for us it's a symbol of hope and love and grace celebration right you can't see it very well but actually in the word celebration is water it's the living water it's something to celebrate by the way I tell you a little story uh, I was over in Romania uh, teaching workshop one time and this was like my first real cross-cultural experience with a, uh, uh, a translator and so I'm preaching away, it's being interpreted, you know, and and, uh, somebody out there says, Amin. Hmm. Amin. What does Idi Amin have to do with this? You know? And, uh, Amin. And all of a sudden, that must mean Amen in Romanian. And then go, Amin. And then I was getting really pumped up and really feeling kind of good. You know, they're encouraging me here. I am halfway around the world, you know. And they're, Amin, Amin. And then somebody goes, duh. Like, huh? Kind of get it together. I mean, I mean, duh. <laughs> so anyway, at the end of the time, I got together with George, our, our interpreter. She says, George, can you help me out here? Uh, I mean, is that Romanian for amen? He goes, yes, it is. Oh, good. And um, George, um, all right. What does duh mean in Romanian? Yes. No, no, no. I don't think I got the point across. The, the, the word duh in Romanian. What does that mean? Yes. What? Are you saying that duh in Romanian is yes? It goes, duh. <laughs> <laughs> so as I'm sharing with you, if you want to be encouraging, you can throw a duh or a duh. Uh, okay, but cross-culture, that's exactly it. And, then, you know, that's the point I want us all to take out of here. We are a cross-culture. The Church of Jesus Christ is a cross-culture. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down in the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him. What an oxymoron. Joy and cross in the same sentence. But see, Jesus knew for a temporal time of embracing that cross, there would be great joy that would come of it. And it was worth the cost. Are we willing to embrace the cross, whatever the cross that might be for us, for the joy set before us, for the sake of glorifying God? Because that's really what it's about. You know, do we joyfully embrace the cross, no matter what the cost? Because that's the real joy. We don't know what a difference it's going to make in eternity when we're willing to embrace the cross whatever that may be. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Whoa! That is a scary statement. But pretty much, that's it. He he was being human at that time. If it would be your will, take the cup away. Well, it's not your will. I'm still going to submit to you. Yeah. God gave us free will praise the lord we can believe in him or not believe in him we can he can be lord of our life or not be lord of our life he who has found his life shall lose it and he who has lost his life for my sake shall find it see the reality is this now i spent a lot of years a contended pew potato And I'd see these people in church that God was doing amazing things through them and wondering, why why is God doing all those great things through Him and He's not doing them through me? Because I wasn't broken to self yet. We need to die to self and be broken before the real love and the light of Christ shines through us to a dysfunctional broken world around us. And if we live for self, we're not going to see those miracles happening through us. It's only when we submit to the Lord's will and be willing to do whatever, wherever, however, because He's calling us to do that, that the Lord is going to be working through us. Peter rejoiced that he had been considered worthy. Peter rejoiced that he had been considered worthy to suffer shame for the name of Christ. Paul was chosen to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel. Jesus said, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake, speaking of Paul. See, they're all on the notes The stuff that isn't on the screen just yet. Uh, the thing is, is that we need to be willing to suffer for the name of Christ. Because in doing so, that screams volumes to the world around us. We're not, we're not Christians because it's comfortable and successful and profitable, feels good and is fun. We're Christians because we love the Lord with our heart, soul, mind. And we love those around us like He loves them. And sometimes that requires suffering. But you know, the suffering is not all that bad. I mean, who would, who would we admire most and want to be most like? Jesus. Thank you. Exactly. Well, Jesus embraced the cross joyfully. Not so much to pay the penalty for my sin, but to bring glory to His Father. And oh, by the way, He paid the penalty for my sin and yours too, if you believe in Him. But I don't want to elevate myself up with Christ. No, it's all about the Father. And we need to be willing to suffer, whatever that may be. We need to have apostolic passion. When you have apostolic passion, you're one of the most dangerous people on the planet Earth. Why? Well, one, you live as a pilgrim. You realize we're just passing through this place. All that we have is on loan from God. Everything we have is on loan from God. It all belongs to Him. We just have temporary use of it. We're just passing through this place for the short period of time we occupy these bodies. You are not afraid of lost because it didn't belong to you anyway. The world no longer rules your heart. We're not living for the stuff that we can get, the accolades that may come our way. We're living to bring glory to God. And it's not only how we act, it's also how we react to circumstances. Because when we're reacting to an adverse situation like a person of the world would, We're just like them. But if we have joy and peace in it, then there's something supernatural that's happening. And the world sees that in us and through us. Our Father's passions have become our passions. Really, what do you spend the time of your life doing? The stuff that gets stuff for you or the stuff that brings glory to God? Who are we living for? Me and mine, or him and his. If you have a problem with people of another race, you know, them, you know, you might look down on them, or you might disdain them for what they did in our past, or I don't like the way they behave, or they do stuff that I just don't find acceptable. If you have a problem with them, there's a high probability you will not like heaven. Think about it they will be with you forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. You may as well build a bridge and get over it now, this side of the grave. And you say, well, why do you say that? It's in the book. Worthy art thou to take the book and break its seals, for thou once slayed and did purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation... They will be with us for eternity. Look, human history is full of war, hate, greed, lust, envy, strife. Oh, it all came in when sin came into this world. And when we're led by the ways of the world, we, in our natural form, will do that kind of stuff. I'm going to get together with my people and we're going to battle with those people over there because whatever reason we choose. History is replete with that. But the thing is, is that you and I who are Christians, part of the cross culture, are bonding together as brothers and sisters in Christ. It didn't matter where our ancestors came from, what circumstance we were born into, What matters is where we're going. And you and I are brothers and sisters in Christ. And when you and I love each other, the world sees that. And they recognize something supernatural is going on here. What a great way to witness in this world is for people to experience the cross-culture love for one another. Well, Who was it that said, the world will know you are mine by the way you love one another? I'm sorry, what? Jesus, Jesus. exactly. And that's the whole point. That's how we are witnessing to the world, is not only within the church, but outside of the church. You know, it's critically, critically important that we recognize God made us unique and different for His purposes, and that it is a joy to spend time with people of different cultures and ethnicity. I was a monocultural guy until Christ called me into missions, and I didn't realize how narrow my understanding of the world was, my understanding of God was, until he hit me over in the head with a 4x4 and said, I want you to work in missions. Like, what? I'm linguistically challenged. I lived in Iran when I was 12 years old. I learned a few words in Farsi. Commands. Typical American. My sister, she ate everything all the time. I struggled with Farsi. When I went to high school, I thought, hey, I think I'm going to go to college. I should learn a language. I took French. My name's Dupree. Totally blew my GPA apart. I selected a university that did not require a language to get a degree. You know, I mean, this is a missionary kind of guy? Uh-uh. But, you know, I have found working in missions, more time I spend with people of different ethnicities and cultures, the more I know God. And the more I appreciate all of God's creation. I have been so incredibly blessed these last 20 years working with God in cross-culture missions ministry. I absolutely love being with people that are not of my heritage. It's great. And it's a little slice of heaven as far as I'm concerned. Now, how many of you heard about top-line, bottom-line in Scripture? Okay, the missions maniacs. All right. Um, Genesis 12. Now, you remember old Abe, Abraham? God said to him, something. He said, Lord said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to a land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. Now, did Abe know where he was going? No. Uh-uh. Did it require faith? Yes. No kidding. Now, what if you heard God say, hey, where you're at's fine, your business is doing great, your family's all here, but yep, it's time to pack up and go. By the way, you don't know where it's going to be, but you're supposed to get out of here. How would you respond to that? Get out of here. Get, well, there you go. Love you, sister. That's the attitude to take. All right, well, and you know, not only did God say, I want you to jump off the cliff of faith and go somewhere, I'm going to make you into a great nation and I will bless you. Oh, isn't that cool? Mm-hmm. Yes, I've got guaranteed satisfaction success. Well, bottom line there, but i got to get a little more top line before I get there. God said to Abe, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. Well, isn't that comforting to know? I mean, not only are you going to go on this journey that you don't know what it's going to be, a great adventure, now you're going to have the Creator God just blessing everybody who's blessing you and cursing those who curse you. What could go wrong? This is the top line of the Scripture God is blessing Abraham and his descendants. Abundantly. But why? Why? And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. That is the bottom line of Scripture. And peoples with an S. Now, we often talk in church about people, people, people. And we tend to think people like me, my people, people of my church. But peoples are the people groups, us, us, and then them. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And see, this is the Abrahamic covenant. God chose to begin to redeem humanity through Himself, beginning with Abraham and his descendants. So it gives us the top line and the bottom line. Now, I got this Bible at Urbana 90. And a friend of mine, Bob Shogren, has got a book called uh, Unveiled at Last. And In the back it has highlighted the bottom line scriptures. Now, we always hear the top line scriptures. Because when we go to church, what do we want to be? Blessed. I'll go to church so I can get blessed more and more. Yeah, hallelujah, this is good, I like it. All right, but why are we being blessed? Well, we're being blessed to be a blessing. And, you know, oftentimes we stop at the top line because it feels good. It gives me what I want, what I need. Here, a friend of mine highlighted the bottom line scriptures. Now, all the ones that are highlighted are the bottom line in the Bible. Now, I have to tell you, anytime you read the Bible and you see the word peoples with an S, or nations, or Gentiles... We're talking about missions. Now, missions is not an afterthought in the Bible. You know, Matthew 28. Oh, by the way, guys, before I go back to heaven, I forgot to tell you, you got to go out and reach for the rest of the world. Bye, I'm out of here. No. Missions is the golden thread that runs throughout the entire Bible. We're all called. And the bottom line is speaking about the nations, how it's blessing the others, not just us. It's throughout the entire Bible. Oh, I love this picture. It was taken by a missionary that was sent out of our church to Erie and Jaya. Those kids' parents were cannibals and headhunters. Now they have dinner with their neighbors on the other valley across the hill. Not have dinner of them. I love what my old buddy Dick Hilla says. We are citizens of heaven left here on earth to help the citizens of earth find the way to heaven. And isn't that just the way it is? When you're reading through the Bible, you talk about the, the Gentiles. It's usually the Jews talking about everybody else who's not Jewish. Now, the, the, the Jews, unfortunately, saw that they were God's chosen people, and it was all about them. And they weren't realizing that God chose them to be a witness to the world about him. I mean, the the, the Old Testament is full of, of wonderful missionary stories, like the reluctant guy, uh, the whale of a tail. Uh, huh? Huh? Jonah, exactly. Now, there's a great missionary story. You know, God called him to be a missionary to the Ninevites. Oh, the Ninevites. Who wants to go to the Ninevites? And, you know, he went the other way. Well, you know what happened? But even after he went and testified and they 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 repented, Jonah was still not happy with those Ninevites. He didn't like them. But God used them. You know, Ralph Dawson was an Jaya. For 14 years, his whole family. And uh, he flew MAF planes, landing on winding rivers and uh, sides of mountains and stuff. And it was just amazing uh, the stuff that happened. And this photograph was taken by a digital camera that the children's ministry of their church raised funds to send to them. It was kind of funny because. uh, uh, after they got the digital camera, he started sending me back these pictures from Erie and Jaya. And then we put together this PowerPoint. And, uh, I did a voiceover. And we were taking, oh, and I went to Costco and bought, uh, National Geographic's uh, 32 CD ROMs of all the National Geographic's. We did a word search for Erin Jaya and, and got all these pictures. And then we put together this PowerPoint telling the story about how River Oak Grace has been committed to reaching the world from little old Oakdale and uh, we sent out the family of the Dawsons and, and uh, then we told a story about how this other MAF pilot was having engine troubles and he saw this little opening in the clouds and there was this one little strip of, of pavement that was uh, a water break and so he tried to land there and he crashed and they had to disassemble the plane and hand carry it out with poles and stuff and, and so I did this little voiceover. To, to share with our congregation, under three minutes. It's got to always be under three minutes. And um, then we found out the other churches that were supporting the Dawson's, and we dropped our name out and put their name in, and we sent them a CD with the PowerPoint so they could show them. And then when Ralph and Valerie came home on furlough, and we showed them this, this PowerPoint that we did, um, Ralph goes, you know, those pictures I took that I sent you, I I know, I know how you got those, but... Where did you get those other photographs? Well, we got them from National Geographic. So we bought it at Costco. Really? Because I flew that photographer to take those pictures. Because, <laughs> I mean, remember, this is out there jungle stuff. Anyway, we, we, we digress. <coughs> God is love. We know that for a fact. It's true. I love this picture, too, because it was taken in Romania. At the time, I had the the story. And we did a little thing when we were a Pioneering Church to get into the community. We got these little prayer plant flowers. And uh, in the, the day, daytime, they open up. and nighttime, they look like praying hands. And we went around to the community, and we said, do you have a prayer need? We want to give you a flower. Oh, let me give you five bucks. No, 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 we don't want any money. This is just a gift to you, and we want to pray for you. Oh, no, I'm okay. Okay, well, God bless you. Well, actually, I'm having knee surgery next week. Will you pray for him? Oh, yeah, we'll pray for you. We had people back at our church praying for him. Well, this guy, the backside of him here, George Verza, um, came and visited us. We supported him with EE International, and he's now the Europe director for EE. Uh, He wanted to do a little prayer plan thing. Well, I was trying to arrange it so I can get them, but the agriculture department wouldn't let us. So they actually wound up getting carnations, which are really, really expensive over there. And they went around. They had prayer teams back at the church, and they gave people carnations, and said, can we pray for you? Now, look at the face of this woman. Keep in mind, she was born into communism under Ceausescu, where the government runs everything. There is no hope. Nobody can make their life better. They just do what government tells them to do. She was born under communism, tyranny, oppression. And now someone comes along and gives her a carnation and says, we want to pray for you. Jesus loves you. You talk about hope. And I just love the expression on that lady's face because it really, really captured it. We're God's people. You and I who accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior are God's people. But I realized that, you know, when Christ went to the cross to glorify His Father, He also paid the penalty for all sin, past, present, and future. And that sin that I committed that was in my sin baggage, He's already paid the penalty for that. And I realized carrying the sin baggage was a hindrance to truly walking with God and being witness for Him. And I threw away the sin baggage. And I've been free ever since. Maybe you're carrying sin baggage for whatever reason. Take it to the Lord. Get rid of it. Because He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you truly to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for all things. We thank you for allowing us to live and to live for you. Lord, guide our steps that we glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all for attending.
1: And that's all the time that we have today for the Ministry of the Week Sunday Message. You've been listening to John Dupree and his presentation some time ago at the Basque Convention called Cross Culture. If you'd like to find out more about the Perspectives course that John and many others lead, you can find out about that coursework at Perspectives.org. But really, we want to encourage you to get in, t- in touch with John directly if you would like to have him uh, get in touch with your church or help your church get their get their hands into what God's mission calling is for them as a congregation or for you as an individual. John would really love to speak with you Uh, please email him john.dupree at perspectives.org if for whatever reason you find yourself disconnected maybe you're new to town maybe you left the church a long time ago uh, we are here to amplify that work of god that's happening in churches and in ministries and uh, and we want to encourage you if you need help finding a church get in touch with me contact me Dave Naderhood, through our station here at kfax.com. Tomorrow, join us at 7.35 and again at 10.35 p.m. as we'll feature another new Ministry of the Week. And next week, Sunday at 12 noon, we'll have the Ministry of the Week Sunday message. Until then, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Grace and peace to you.
0: Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's